0: Welcome, if you are, if it's your first morning with us, this is the Youth um, Leaders Stream. Um, my name's Bex Jenkins and I'm kind of um, hosting you through this week with um, Wayne, who's um, in the massive line for Cafe Froth, where probably the rest of the youth leaders are, because I don't know about you guys, but by Thursday I am starting to feel the new day tiredness burn. I feel like I hit the wall this morning um, when I was woken up by an air horn, um, or a next door with pots and pans. Um, and I just was like, I said to um, my friend Esther, I was like, I just can't get up. So in a minute, I think we'll pray before we um, start just that God would refresh us this morning, that actually we'd um, be able to kind of get rid of our tiredness and be able to really um, focus on what Nick's um, going to bring to us. Um, so we are on the third E of five E's this morning. So we've already looked at um, enjoyment and we've looked at education. Um so both Wayne and I, the kind of whole heart behind this stream is oh there's Wayne. Um, the whole heart behind this stream is that um, we'd be able to spend some time with you guys and um, equipping you. We're both really passionate about um, youth leaders and um, being equipped and. Um, also giving some time for team and some time to ask questions. So we have, um, again, the question number. So you can text a question at any time throughout the, um, what Nick's going to bring to us this morning. And, um, we will either answer it today or we'll, um, get back to you via text. Um, another thing just to flag up if, um, you're, either of you're here for, for the first time, we've heard us talk about it every day, is um Centre Parks. and um, So the Youth Workers Conference is the 19th, 20th and 21st of January this year. Booking is live, so um, get yourselves booked in. There are 500 places this year. We're going back to Sherwood. It's a great time of refreshing. It's a great time of equipping. It's a great time of the rapids. And it's a great time of encountering Jesus together as a team. Also, we have... Um, been talking a load about how do we support um you guys as youth leaders throughout the year so obviously we've got new day we've got the youth workers conference but how do we connect in with you guys throughout the year and there is a new day youth leaders facebook group that we'd love you guys to join and um, what we're going to be looking to do is put in on encouraging stuff and material that you guys can use throughout the year I think that that is about it um, from me. Um, in a minute, I'm going to welcome Nick Lines. Nick and Amy are down here. They're an amazing couple. Um, Nick is really, really easy to listen to. They've had an amazing adventure, and I think the thing that I always, when I think of Nick and Amy, I think of massively radical obedience to um, what God's asking them to do. And um, they're going to re- Nick's going to really, really bless you guys this morning. But like I said, I'm feeling tired. I, I really want to pay attention to what Nick's going to say. So can I just pray for us? this morning um so yeah Jesus we just want to say we are here for you first and foremost God I know we 're here in our capacity as youth leaders but we are here for you because we want to hear from you we want to learn from you want to be transformed by you and we want to know how to um, do what we love even better so God would would you just fall on us by your holy Spirit Holy Spirit would you bring refreshment would you bring um our, an ability for us to listen, even though we're tired, God. And would you um, do an amazing work in our hearts this morning, Jesus, because it's all about you. It's all for you. We, we just want to um, love you even more as a result of what Nick shares with us today. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity just to take a bit of time out. Um, and we pray you'd really bless us this morning. Amen. So can we welcome Nick Lyons? <clears throat>
1: Good morning, everyone. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and give them a little pinch, just to make sure they're awake. So, uh, my name's Nick, and I'm married to uh, Amy, and we've got two kids. Josh is five and a half, Kezia is, has just turned four, so they keep us busy. And um, we uh, last October, we moved to New York City to be part of a church plant out there. We've come back just for a short season, just so I wait for Donald Trump to give us a visa uh, and all that so we're hoping to go back to New York City and be part of that team for uh, well next 10 years of our lives probably so if you want to know anything about New York you want to move to New York with us come and talk to us afterwards we're gathering team we'd love that I um just wanted to quickly share a little bit about my story with you Um my my journey is that I am um, in terms of youth work, I I got saved 15 years ago. I know I don't look old enough, do I? And we, um, uh, I got straight into serving with young people, uh, just volunteering on the team. And then it was about eight, seven or eight years after that, then the the church then asked me to come on staff full time and lead the youth work over at Bishop Stortford, um, and. And I led the youth, youth team for about five years on a full-time basis. And then someone else came in and took over the specific team whilst we then did some stuff with a youth charity in our local town. We've launched a youth charity, which is still going strong five years later. And so that's kind of my experience with, with young people. But, but really for today's seminar, I just want to tell you a bit about myself and my own journey. And I uh, grew up in a Catholic home, church-going family, but didn't really get to know Jesus till I was 18. Um, and that was primarily because my dad died. And he he was diagnosed with cancer. He went through, you know, an awful 10-month period. And um, it really caused me to think, what is life all about? And so I investigated Jesus and and met him for myself. And really for the the first five, six, seven years of my Christian walk, I was very works-driven, focused, uh, very busy, wanted to achieve, achieve, achieve. And what I've often found with God, and I don't know if anyone else would agree with this, but I often find he takes you through a crisis in order to change you. Anyone else notice that? You go through something that you think, what on earth are you doing, God? But he's doing it in order to, to change you and mould you and make you more like him. And for me, my crisis was depression. And about three or four years ago, I hit depression and I completely uh, just, you know, shut down, basically. Uh, didn't want to get up in the mornings, just isolated myself. And, and the thing I ran to was alcohol. And it got to a stage where I was really questioning whether or not as an alcoholic. You're wondering why Wayne's asked me to speak to you now, aren't you? And, uh, but actually it's been a three or four year process of loads of counselling, support, uh, prayer, of kind of walking through that and becoming a, a better equipped uh, father, husband, uh, dad, I've said that one already, haven't I? Uh, Christian, all those things and God's really working on me. The reason I say that is because the platform from which I speak this morning is not one of having it all together. I'm not kind of speaking to you saying this is how I've done it and you should all copy me. This is just, I'm, I'm saying I'm a broken person who needs Jesus. And uh, it's Paul Johnson who helps lead the team at Kin's Arms. He says this, um, we can try and be the strong one and eventually burn out. Or we can be the weak one made strong by God. And that's kind of the way I want to live. And I uh, just wanted to kind of just share that before we get started this morning, really. Um, so as we've kind of said today, we're talking about example. Does anyone know who this guy is? It's like, and hands up if you don't know who he is. Yeah, all the old... All the old people in the room. I asked Wayne, who's meant to be like the coolest youth leader in the world. He hadn't got a clue. So this is some pop star called cool example, surprisingly. The name's on there, gives it away. And um, But before we kind of get into the practical nitty-gritty, and I do want to make today very practical and I get you guys chatting amongst yourselves, um, get you guys interacting and all that. I just want to kind of tell you a couple of important things about youth work and the way that I see it. Because I think it's just helpful in order to understand what we're going to talk about. And the first and foremost, the thing... My goal when it comes to youth work as a youth leader, my goal is always to make disciples. It's not to have fun necessarily, that might be part of it. It's not to have an all singing, all dancing youth work, that might be part of it. My goal is to make disciples, that's the Great Commission, that's what Jesus told us to do. And if you're in any form of church leadership, that's the goal. So whether you are you know, teaching five-year-olds or 85-year-olds, the goal has always got to be to make disciples. Now, of course, young people are facing different challenges in their lives. And so actually the way in which we outwork making disciples is always going to look different, isn't it? But the, the goal never changes. My goal is not to babysit. It's not to maintain the status quo. It's always to seek transformation in the lives of teenagers. I want to take young people from A to B. I want to take them from passivity to passion to activity, to getting involved. I want to take them from immaturity to maturity. And now the reason I'm starting here is because if this is our goal, if you want to take people from A to B, if you want to make them disciples, we've really got to understand how people change, haven't we? Because otherwise, you know, if you, haven't, if you don't know how you can change someone, then you're kind of just like a headless chicken running around trying to play some games. And experts tell us that there are three ways in which people learn, three different ways in which people change and learn and grow and develop. But what they say is actually when these three work together, when there's a dynamic interplay between them all, that's when the learning process is at its most effective. And so these three ways, you've got the first way, which is classroom, which is what we're doing right now. We're inputting uh, teaching, hopefully, inputting knowledge, hopefully, definitely more to some people than others. But we're inputting information. It's teaching someone what to do. It's what Sunday mornings are. Teaching someone what to do. It's what you hopefully do on a Friday night. You share the gospel. You preach from the word. The second way is apprenticeship. And that's showing someone what to do. So that, you know, think about a plumber. If you, you go to college and then you get an apprenticeship and you start to go out with your, the guy who knows it already and you watch how he does it, don't you? And then you might, you might help him out a little bit and you might give it a go and then he gets you to do some stuff and you're doing it together. It's that, it's that apprenticing. The third way is Immersion. And that is encouraging someone to do it. So it's you stepping back and saying, well, you now fix the tap. Okay, And, and, and what experts say, they, it's not me, this is, you know, they say when these three work together in a flow, in a functioning together, dynamic interplay between the three, that's when you are most effective at learning. Now, why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you this because I think as a, as a church, as Christians, we're amazing at this one, aren't we? Love telling people what to do. I love telling people what to do. Look, we, we preach every Sunday. We share, you know, preach from the front. We've done it all this week, aren't we? 40 minute preaches, telling people what to do, classroom style learning. We're also really good at this, aren't we? Immersion. We're really good at saying to people, now go out to your schools, to your workplaces, go into your, your neighbourhoods and share the gospel. Go and do. Go, 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 go and do. We're really good at that, aren't we? In fact, I think 95% of a young person's life is spent in immersion, isn't it? Unless you're, unless you're in a like Christian family, Christian school, surrounded by Christian friends, most young people that we're dealing with are actually spending 90 95% of their time in, in, in a world that is not the church. And so they're trying to immerse themselves. They're trying to learn on the job, if you like. Now, the reason, now, now, I think we're rubbish at this one, if I'm honest with you. I think this is really where we fall down. It's not just me. Other people think that too. I've stumbled on it from Mike Breen, really. Anyone heard of Mike Breen? He's not as cool as Example. Yeah, one guy at the back. But I think that's where we really fall down. Think about it. We stand up on a Friday night and say, look, if someone's bullying you, you've got to turn the other cheek. And so Johnny goes, oh, okay, Nick says I've got to turn the other cheek. So he goes to school on Monday, tries to turn the other cheek and gets a fistful. And so he thinks, well, that didn't work. So he comes back to youth next week dejected because the thing that you've told him to do and he loves and respects you, he's not been able to do. So you're setting people up to fail if we don't help them and give them an example to follow. That's all apprenticeship is. It's giving them an example. You see the link there with the subjects, couldn't it? Now, the reason that this is relevant this morning is because this apprenticing section of learning is quite simply us setting the example and showing young people how to live a Christian life. We've got to do that as youth leaders. We've got to do that as leaders throughout the church whether it's five-year-olds or 55-year-olds. And of course, as I said, we could sh- simply change the word apprenticeship, for example. Albert Einstein said, example is true leadership. Example is true leadership. Will, Will Rogers, he's an author, he says this, people's minds are changed through observation, not through argument. People might learn a lot here, but actually this is where the change happens. This is where they start to see it so they then can imp- implement it here. Matthew 5, Jesus said this. He said, first lead yourselves and worry about your own character before concerning yourself with leading others. First lead yourself. How are you doing? In Luke 6.40, he says this. The student is not above the teacher, but listen to this. Everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. Do you get that? Everyone who's fully trained will be like the teacher. So he's basically saying you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. The, uh, the legend and NBA coach, John Wooden, said that the most powerful tool we have is that of our own example. And guys, we're leading all the time through our own example. We're communicating through every single thing we do. As leaders, if you've been given a position of leadership, you are communicating and leading all the time. Everything you do on Facebook, Instagram, on a Sunday morning, when you're in the big top this morning, what are you doing? Are you on your phone, disengaging, or are you worshipping Jesus? You're communicating all the time. What we say, how we say it, when we say it. As leaders, people are watching our lives and being moulded by it. So the real question is not, um, are we setting an example? It's are we setting a positive example? Are we being positive in in, in in our example? Are we setting a Christ-like example to follow or not? And so that's the kind of introduction really to this morning. That's the kind of uh, platform for what I want to say. And so really what I want to do is just talk about three ways, three key ways in which I think uh, we need to be setting a positive example. And I feel like these three ways are, it's a shame we don't have any three-legged stools, because I feel like they're three legs of a stool. And if you, rem- yeah, if you remove one of these legs, it's like you get a bit wobbly. I think these are all such key things. Now... Just to say, I love it when people are interactive, okay? So whenever we go through a part, I'm going to ask you as the the congregation, the audience, whatever you want to call yourself, to act out the the example, okay? And the best people get a hug from Wayne at the end, all right? So does that make sense? Turn to your neighbour and say, you're setting an example just by being here. Some very polite Christians in this room. Thank you very much. Very kind of you. So the first way I think in which we... um, set an example is we've got to get Jesus so guys I want you to act that out how, show me how you get Jesus the most give me an example of getting Jesus look this guy a couple of you worshiping the rest of you awful example very negative there you go Wayne. well done I love it that's good Wayne gives the best hugs by the way he's a really good hugger I've I've made a decision that my number one task as a leader is to fall more and more love with Jesus My number one job as a leader is to fall more and more in love with Jesus. That might sound obvious. That might sound Christianity 101. But you know what? We need to hear that. It's my absolute priority. Of course, you could replace the word leader with follower. And the reality is we are a follower before we're a leader. Do you realize that? You are a follower of Jesus before you're a a youth leader. Your identity is in Jesus, not in your leader, not not in your role as a leader. When asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Anyone there yet? Anyone got that nailed? If, you, you can come and take the mic if you have. And you can start telling us how you do it. So we're all on a journey. So we're all on a journey to loving God with everything we have. When we read the letters of Paul, I love reading Paul because he'll be teaching about sanctification or about orderly worship and suddenly he'll break out into this, oh, how, how high and wide and great is the love of God. He'll just burst into praise, won't he? And that's because something in him is coming out. He's got Jesus so much that it just comes out. He's writing a letter. It's not as even it's like spontaneous discussion. He's thinking about what he's writing and he can't help but worship on the, the pages that he's writing. You know, Paul wasn't a successful leader because he had a good strategy or because he was a clever preacher. You know, people fell asleep during Paul's preachers, didn't they? Gives me hope, right? He was successful because he was simply... Uh, Because of his simply outrageous, radical and completely abandoned for Jesus. That's why he was successful. Because he gave everything to him. He loved him with all of his heart, mind, soul and strength. Think about the example of Mary and Martha. Jesus comes to tea. Mary sat at his feet. Listening, engaging, connecting. Just just hanging off every word he says. And Martha's off busy doing the youth rota. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say... You're rubbish, Martin. But he says, Mary's chosen what's right. Actually, our first priority is to sit at the feet of Jesus. It was George Muller. Anyone know who George Muller is? Yeah, definitely in a Christian camp. The first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. That was what George Muller said. To get my soul happy. And what I want to say is actually getting Jesus and loving Jesus well is not something you just stumble into. It's not something you just wake up one day and go, oh, this, this is a great strategy I've discovered. Amy and I have been married for just over nine years now, and I can honestly look back at our journey and, and you know, we've had some highs and, and I've had some lows, haven't we? Times when I've been a good husband and times when I've been a bad husband. And I know that when, when we're doing really well as a couple, it's when we're really intentional with how we spend our time. I know that when we're doing well as a couple, it's when I'm taking time to date my wife, not just once a week. Every day, taking time to date her and romance her, when I'm taking time to listen to her and share my feelings with her. Guys, do you know what your feelings are? Anyone connected with those yet? It's when I, when I take time to empower her and encourage her. They're the times that we start to do better. They're the times when I fall more in love with her. And they're the times that I, I, I want to spend more and more time with her. And it's, it's no different with Jesus, is it? Because faith isn't some religion or set of rules. It's a relationship with Jesus. He's a relational God who who wants to know us and be known by us. So, first things first this morning, I want to get you thinking about your relationship with Jesus. If I was post New Day, was to come and spend a week with you, what would I see? What What would I think about your relationship with Jesus? What would my conclusion be? Would I walk away thinking, wow, he really loves Jesus? He's sold out for Jesus. Or would I come away being impressed by your work ethic and busyness? How, what would it look like? I know which one I want to be said of me. What about you? What I'm challenging here is, is this. Is Jesus your first love? Have we forgotten our first love? Are, are we in love with Jesus? Are we captivated by him? Do we enjoy spending time with him? Is he the first person we go to when things are tough? And is he the first person we thank when things are going well? If we want our young people to love Jesus, we've got to first show them how to do that. We've got to show them how to love Jesus well. And, and loving Jesus, just to finish on this point, it, loving Jesus doesn't mean that you follow a set of rules and read your Bible every day and give to the offering and come to a new day. That's, it's very easy to fake loving Jesus, isn't it? Very easy. It's what the whole gospel is about. And, 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 and young people will see right through that. If, if your connection and relationship with Jesus is broken, young people will see right through that. So what kind of example are you setting when it comes to loving Jesus? Just turn to your neighbour and answer this question. What one thing can I do to start prioritising Jesus more in my life? What one thing can I do to start prioritising Jesus more in my life? First thing is you've got to love Jesus. That's the priority above everything. Second thing, who can act this out? You've got to get serious. Show me your most serious face. Well, that's good, Sam Kane. Well done. Wayne, you don't have to go far this time. Well done. Second thing is you've got to get serious. Now, what do I mean by this? I was asked at a men's conference probably about 10 years ago, right? It's stuck with me ever since. I was asked this question by the speaker. Is there someone in your life who knows everything about you? Is there someone in your life who knows everything about you? And if not, why not? If not, why not? He was challenging us to take our walks with Jesus that seriously, to find people who would genuinely disciple, train and challenge us. Have you got that in your life, guys? How seriously are you taking your walk with God? You see, we live with a very real enemy. The Bible says that the the enemy is the accuser of the brothers. So constantly he's coming at me saying, you're not good enough. You're a bad dad. This preach is rubbish. Of hoping for some encouragement, then but he's the accuser of the brothers, he's he's he he masquerades as an angel of light. So he'll come and whisper in your ear, Hey, it's okay, you can click on that website. Yeah, it's fine, Jesus still loves you. It's only one more beer, don't worry about it. It's only a kiss. He'll whisper with his lies in your ear, masquerading as an angel of light. You know, the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy. We have a very real enemy in Hebrews. 12 says that we are we should resist sin to the point of shedding blood anyone anyone got there yet resist sin to the point of shedding blood John 8 when when Jesus is presented with the woman caught in adultery and he beautifully dismisses the crowd saying he is without sin cast the first stone what does he say to the lady he says go and sin no more I don't condemn you but go and sin no more we've got to get serious with with our character with our lives with our sin and we do this by gathering with community, by getting people around us who know everything about us. Doing life was the model, uh, doing life together was the model that the early church set us. James 5 says, confess your sin to one another. Romans, t- Proverbs 27 says, iron sharpens iron. You know, I've been struck recently by the Lord's Prayer. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father. He didn't say pray my Father or pray your Father. He said, pray our Father. He's saying the fundamental basis, basis of prayer is that it's to be done in community. It's to be done with one another. And this is who God is. I don't need to tell you this. The Trinity is a community within itself. God has put us to be in community. You see, the enemy's not messing around and we need people, we need an army around us to support us and strengthen us. So I want to challenge you today, not only just to fall more in love with Jesus, but to find yourself in that genuine discipling relationship. And now here's the thing. Discipleship is another thing I think the church has done really bad at over the last few years. I don't know if any of you agree with me. But Mike Breen has written an incredible book called uh, Building a Discipling Culture. And in that he talks about what genuine discipleship looks like. And he uses the best model there is and that is of Jesus. And he says Jesus had this model of both invitation and and challenge. He would invite people to watch his life, to do life with him, but then he would challenge them at the same time. And the great example is in Matthew 16, just to show that I'm not making this stuff up. In verse 16, uh, Jesus says to Peter, who do you say I am? You'll know the verse, right? And Jesus, Peter says, you're the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that the scriptures have talked about. You're the son of God. And Jesus says, well done. This has not been revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And then what does he say? He says, Peter, you are the rock that I'm going to build my church on. And he calls him, he says, you're the little rock. Now, earlier in the, in the Gospels, Jesus has said he was the big rock at the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I am, the, I am the rock. And so what he's doing is he's sharing covenant identity with Peter. He's inviting him in and he says, you, you can walk this journey with me. We're going to co labor We're going to build something amazing together. What an incredible invitation to do life with him. Five verses later, what happens? You know, don't you? Jesus, Jesus says, okay, guys, you're starting to get it. Now I can tell you, I've got to die. And Peter says... Don't even be so stupid, Jesus. Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. So he's he's gone from calling him the rock on which he's going to build his church to calling him Satan. He says, you're a stumbling block to me. And then off the back of that, he stands back and he starts to teach the disciples. He says, guys, you don't understand. You need to deny yourself and pick up your cross if you're going to follow me. Just ups the bar. You see, there's this amazing, all throughout the Gospels, you see this in Jesus, of inviting people in to follow him, to love him, to be with him, but never holding back from challenging them. And that's what Mike Breen says is genuine discipleship. And he says, actually, what, well, actually, my experience with discipleship is sitting down with someone and them asking me, am I reading my Bible? Are you tithing? Are you coming to church? Great, good job, see you next week. That's not discipleship. Or it's, or it's answerability. So I tell someone I've got a porn problem, and they come to me and say, okay, how's your porn problem? I go, yeah, I've slipped up a few times this week. And they go, okay, let's try again next week. And we come back next week, we have the same conversation. That's not discipleship. That's answerability. Mike Breen, he's, he's done a really helpful matrix, as he calls it. Like, whoa, matrix type thing. And, uh, and he says, he says every relationship that we have in our life fits into one of these quadrants. Okay? And this, this is where Jesus is, right? The empowered culture. Because he's high invitation and high challenge. Do you get that? Okay. But I wonder, I think we spend most of our time in one of these three quadrants, right? We either have the low challenge or the low invitation, which is the boring, apathetic quadrant. It's what you have with most of your work colleagues, probably. With most of the people on the street, it's chit-chat, it's very superficial. You might not even know their kids' names. It's just it's, it's a nothing quadrant. It's boring, Okay, But then the other two, is, again, are probably the two, two of the most popular ones. We have a low challenge but high invitation culture. So that is the come and be spend time with us. That's the cozy consumer culture. Come and be with us. It doesn't matter if you're you know, sleeping around. It doesn't matter if you're watching porn. It doesn't matter if you're drinking too much. Just come and be with us. We just want to have fun. And that happens far too much in the church, doesn't it? I've been in so many small groups that have been like that. You know, people's lives are a mess and no one's dealing with it. And you're just kind of having coffee and cake every week. And the, the other quadrant is then is then the high challenge and yet low invitation one. Where actually you get the preacher from the front who is so aloof he doesn't talk to anyone but he tells him what to do. Stop doing this, start serving more, give me your money. And it's very high challenge, but he's not letting anyone into his heart. And what Mike Breen says is we must, must, must find ourselves in relationships that are both high challenge and high invitation. Do you have that kind of relationship in your life, guys? Do you have people in your life who will come alongside you, encourage you, invite you to do life with them, but yet won't shirk from challenging your character? Who won't stop, uh, who won't ignore the sin that is so glaringly obvious in your life? Do you know, I heard something about the, the, the Bethel guys, the leadership team at Bethel. Once a year they get together and they sit in a room and they go around the room and they, they go around each person and they say, right, we're going to tell, tell, let's say, Amy. I won't pick on you, Sam. Let's, let's start telling it, Amy everything that's wrong with her character. And they go around the room and they say, Amy, I don't like this about you. Amy, I, I, I see this in you. Amy, I say, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're wonderful. They, they, they call out all the rubbish stuff in her character and, in a, and I hope to help her. That's genuine discipleship. It's not messing about and being fluffy with sin with our characters is really challenging sorry bad, I think you're amazing by the way from my personal experience the people I look up to most are people who live in that top quadrant they're the people who have set me the best example they're the people who have changed my life the most We need to be in those kind of relationships. So firstly, get Jesus. Secondly, get serious. Get into the kind of relationships that help you to fight sin, share your hidden struggles, and remain humble and teachable. Now turn to your neighbor and answer this question. Which quadrant do you spend most of your time in? Which quadrant do you spend most of your time in? So first and foremost, as youth leaders, we're, we're followers of Jesus before we're leaders. We've got to get Jesus. Secondly, we've got to get serious. Who can guess what the third one is? Who can act this one out for me? Thir- thirdly, you've got to get busy. Esther Tibbet, well done, Wayne. Brilliant. Wayne gets so. Uh, get Jesus, get serious, get busy, okay? Do you see I've made it as simple as possible for you guys to remember? I'm kind, aren't I, like that? Get Jesus, get serious, get busy. Now, what do I mean by Getting busy. I don't mean like going on a romantic date or something. I, I think one of the most important things for any leader, but especially youth leaders, is that we are intentional with our time. Now why especially youth leaders, I was thinking about this. If, if I'm leading a church, or if, no, let's put it the other way. If I'm, if I'm in a church and I have an issue, I take the initiative to go seek out help. Young people don't do that. They find it hard, really hard, to take initiative to say I need support. Okay, if I'm an adult and I've got a problem, I, I can go to my leaders, take the initiative, but also I can, I can more often than not, express how I'm feeling and what I'm going through in an articulate way. Young people can't do that. There's so much change going on in their bodies and their chemicals and all the stuff that it's really hard for them to actually genuinely know what they're believing or feeling. And the other thing I, I found is that actually, it, as an adult, if I tell an adult what to do if they've come to me for help, more often than not, they'll go and do it, Right? Young people need a lot of help staying accountable. So as, as youth leaders, we've got to change the way we lead, haven't we? And, and, and for me, this means that we have to be very, very intentional with our time. We have to be the ones who initiate the discipling process. We can't sit back and wait for young people to come to us. We've got to be the ones who learn to ask good questions. Not just talk at young people, ask good questions and listen. Try and get to the root of what they're feeling. We have to be the ones who, who help keep young people accountable to stuff that they've committed to doing. We have to be hands-on and much more intentional. Of course, this is just the strategy that Jesus used, isn't it? He, he wasn't some aloof preacher on a stage who had limited access like a celebrity to, to him, did he? He came and he got 12 guys around him and said, right, we're going to go on a mission together. And, and it wasn't just 12 guys, it was the 72 and it was the 500. And He said, let's go on preaching uh, missions together. Let's go and feed uh, 5,000 with just a few bits of bread and some fish. He, he, he got into the nitty gritty and did life with people. It's just the example that Jesus did. He was busy. Think for a moment, what would it look like if Jesus was on your youth team? What would it look like? Would he be the one on his phone in worship? Or would he, would, he, would he be the one gathering his year group on a Wednesday night just to have dinner around the, his house? Would he be the ones taking the kids out on the street saying let's go pray for some people? You know one of my biggest, this is going to be a bit of a rant now, one of my biggest frustrations as a youth leader over the years is members of my team who have seen their role as youth leaders as a tick in a box. Something they have to do just to fulfil a service uh, commitment. And they turn up on a Friday night, spend a couple of hours there and go home and forget about it till the next week. Honestly, one of my biggest frustrations as a youth leader. If you see youth leadership as a service or a duty, some, something you just need to do to fulfill a rota, then your young people, I guarantee you, will never ever reach their full potential under you. Because you're, t- you're not discipling them. Jesus said, go and make disciples. When we're, as youth leaders, we're in, the, we're in the business end of discipleship. We're in the business end of the Great Commission. Youth, lead, youth, youth leading is not a stepping stone to a greater ministry. It is the greater ministry. You're, you're doing the very thing that Jesus commanded all of us to do, and that's to make Jesus. For me, being a youth worker is a 24-7 role. 24-7 job. As a youth, youth leader, you're putting yourself in a position of taking responsibility for the young people that God has entrusted you to. How well are you stewarding the young people? If you're just turning up for two hours on a Friday night, how well are we? You know, we're not stewarding the people that God's given us if we're doing that. It's not something to be taken lightly, guys. And what I want to, I, I guess, what I'm trying to say in this point is, I want to encourage us to start taking initiative more. Start seeing our roles as the serious end of Christian ministry. Start getting out there, getting in touch with our young people. Coming back to what we said at the beginning, one of the weakest areas of the church is that middle apprenticing stage. That middle setting the example stage. Let me ask you a few questions. How often have you had young people over to your house for dinner? So they can watch, watch how you interact with your, your partner or your roommates or your kids. How often do you invite young people to... To watch you parent, if you're a parent here. How you discipline. How you reward. How you interact. I remember I had some time uh, with a well-known church leader. Stayed over his house. And what he did, he invited me to come and watch how he did bedtime. That stayed with me now. That was like 10 years ago. And he he was doing apprenticing. He was showing me how he parented. Have you ever done that? Do you ever... You know, if you're going shopping, you know you've got an hour in your diary that you've got to do shopping. Do you ever take a young person with you? So they can see how you budget. So they can see whether you buy organic or not. So they can see how you interact with, you know, the, the lady on the till. It's not, it's not hard. It's just getting people in your life and, and doing it with them. Have you ever, you know, if you're on a Sunday morning and you, you see someone across the room and you think, I really want to pray for them. Do you ever grab a young person and say, come with me and help me pray for this person? So, you, so they can watch you how you pray. They can watch how you hear from God and how you prophesy. So they can watch how you pastorally care for people. Do you ever take your young people out on the streets and share Jesus? You know, we're saying to them, go and share Jesus in your schools. Do they know how to do it? Have they ever seen you do it? Have they they ever seen you share the gospel in a hostile environment? Let me ask you this. If you're preaching something on a Friday night, Are you creating opportunities for your young people to watch how you live that teaching point out? If you're standing up and saying, go and love your neighbor, go and love the homeless, go and give to the poor. Are you creating opportunities for your young people to see that in your life? That's a real challenge to me. Am I doing that with my kids? If I'm telling my kids to love the poor and the broken, am I showing them how to do that? We have to get busy at apprenticing our young people. We can't just tick our serving box and then forget about them the rest of the week. Just before we finish uh, uh, on this point, I just want to say, you know, the comeback to this will be, well, what about boundaries? You've got to put boundaries up, Nick. And yes, of course, we have to put boundaries. And that's part of actually the example that we set, young people. But you know what? So often I think we hide behind boundaries as an excuse to not disciple young people. I think. Well, what if this went wrong? Well, that's a fear-based mentality. See, fear's leading you now, is it? Of course you have to put boundaries up. But let's not use it as an excuse. So, last question to you. Turn to your neighbor and answer this question. In what area of your personal life could you involve your young people more? In what area of your personal life could you involve your young people in more? I want to make sure we've got time for questions if there are any. So, um, that's something you can continue to think about the rest of the week, maybe. But let me just sum up quickly. Three points that I made today. These are the three legs of a stool, if you like, right? Firstly, you've got to get Jesus. Make sure that he's your number one. He's your first love. Prioritise him over the youth youth road to all that. Secondly, you've got to get serious. Let someone challenge you to change you. Open up your life to someone. Let them see the good, bad, and the ugly. And thirdly, get busy. Take the initiative and know that youth work is a 24-7 role. Now listen, this is what I mean. If you you remove this one from it and, and, and your youth leadership was just about seriousness and busyness, then what are you leading people into? You're not leading them into a relationship with Jesus, are you? But if you remove the serious one, leg of the stool, then what you're doing is is actually not leading with integrity because if you're not opening your heart but you're expecting young people to do that to you you're not leading with technology and if, you're, if you remove this one and you're just getting Jesus and getting serious then you're not taking initiative that all three are very key to what we do in terms of youth leadership so I'm done We're going to invite Becky and Wayne up and we're going to do some some Q&A
0: thank you Nick I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely going away feeling um, challenged, particularly about getting myself more and more serious about Jesus. And um, so we've got one question so far um, for Nick. So if you've got another one, then um, send it through. Here you go, Nick. This is a good one. And um, so I've just lost it. <laughs> Not it completely. The just the question. Just, just to be clear. That was not leading by example by Wayne. Um, (laughs) This says, hello, we have a couple of members of our youth team that are not making the best choices and decisions to be a good example for the young people. For example, living with their boyfriend, smoking weed, getting drunk and having one night stands. They've been on the team for a number of years but had started to make these choices over the last year. Do you have any advice on how to handle this? Would you keep them on your team to keep them connected or would you suggest they had some time out? Thank you.
1: (laughs) Wow, what a great question. Uh, Wayne and Bex you guys can be thinking about a more gracious answer maybe as well because for me I think I would just kick them off the team but that's not the whole answer man that's a hard one I think what I would do is I would want to um, I would want to make sure that I they're in a discipling relationship and if they're not I would want to be that discipling relationship for them Um, I think I think this is a stage where maybe boundaries are helpful in terms of saying well why don't you take a season off the youth team might take a season take a step back and just have a season to reassess because i think you really find out what people believe by what they do don't you and so if they're living with their boyfriends and smoking weed and getting drunk that communicates a lot about really what they believe and what's in their heart so for me i'd want to say why don't you just take a step back we'll give you some space we'll meet regularly and i just want to get to the root of what's going on and you know have they have they you know what's going on with their faith and where are they at and just really walking through that that's more of a pastoral issue than a youth leadership well i guess they're one and the same but i don't know if you want
2: to say anything else on that i don't know if that's helpful really helpful i thought thought that was great um something else that just came to mind that we did so we've been looking at this whole thing as a team of how do we make disciples so we looked at a um, what, what where are we want to lead where, where do we want to lead our young people to, um, and then recognize that some of the places we get our young people to that we as leaders as a youth team need to be there as well, so we just identified well, what are some of the issues the key issues in the youth group, but then also affect us as a team and um, and then just spend an evening diving into some of those issues and saying, okay where do we want to get to let 's be real about about that so I think the the initial thing I thought of was I'd just get them off the team. You're not in a healthy place, you're not in a good place, you're not setting a good example, so actually you do need some time out. But then I think part of our role as as, as youth leaders, particularly if you lead that team, is to take your, your team to a place where they are being good examples. So um, so one obvious um, issue in that for us was was drinking. So lots of our young people were getting to an age where they're going out and getting drunk. And I realised the culture in our youth team wasn't actually that great with it. They, they weren't setting an example. A lot of the youth leaders were just turning up on Sunday with hangovers and, and getting drunk and stuff. So I said, right, we need to address this as so a team. What is our expectation of our youth? And how does that then challenge us as a team? And said, so this is what we're going for. If you're not there, then maybe you do need to step off for a bit and, and get some time out. But, but actually, that's what we're aiming for. So I think you do have to set the challenge high, as Nick's been saying. But give give context for invitation and say let's go through this together. But actually, if you're if you're not on board, like then then you need to you need to step out. Is is where I'd line that.
1: So the, the only other thing that comes to mind is, um, is actually it's probably worth as well thinking about has that how's that, how has that affected your young people and is it worth teaching into? Because as you said, you know you're being an example all the time. And so if these person have young people on their Facebook or whatever, then have they seen that? Have they picked that up? Have they heard that? And and actually what has that confused their thought processes on things? And so mm. I think just being aware of, like, is this something we need to address to the whole group? We don't necessarily need to say, Dave and Tina are living together. But, you know, you could say, we want to talk to some hot topics and we want to talk about sex outside marriage or something like that. So it's a good opportunity to speak into those, I think, as well. Mm.
2: Yeah, just don't let it just carry on because it, it will just breed an unhealthy culture within within the youth work, so... Which is one of the challenges of having to address stuff with team as well as young people. Okay, we've got a few more questions. We'll just do a couple and then we can text um, text other ones later. So, one of our youth is quite um, disabled, both physically and in his mental um, development. He's 15, but still in the young, uh, younger group. We love him and treat him with equality, but have you any tips? Um, what of his future? I.e. it's hard to include him with the stuff all the other youth need. Uh, do you get that?
0: I've got this one apparently Um, so we've got uh, a young lad who's actually still in our um, still in the kids work but he's about to make the transition to youth so he's um, two years behind his um, like his actual age um, the capacity of him um, as a person and actually we've worked really really hard with his parents so if um, that chaps or girls parents are in the church can i suggest that you actually talk to them because they're actually in the best place to give you a hand um also the other thing to do is um if you've got any teachers um in your church which you probably will have a million is going and actually speaking to um secondary and primary school teachers and getting advice on different learning styles how to engage them um I would be quite happy to talk to you because I'm a primary school teacher myself. So I think it is looking for opportunities to engage them but also being okay with their kind of um, journey in your youth work looking a bit different to the other young people. And it's about loving and including them when they are a part of it. So he's come up this, um, actually this this lad's come up to New Day today for a day because he's going to come next year for the whole week. And I just thought actually it will be a massive thing for him if he's coming next year um, and having to stay the whole week. And his mum's even offered to come and help on the team so that we can support him really well. So parents, talk to them, and then um, talk to some teachers to look at how you can involve them. But don't be concerned about it looking different because it will need to, because God made us all individual, didn't he?
1: Just to sort of pitch in a little bit from my own experience, so even taking a slightly less severe form of disability or someone who may be, I mean, even going to the spectrum, someone who's dyslexic or uh, has Asperger's or things like that. Something I have found, which is what you've kind of said is talking to parents. But for me, it's having very regular communications with the parents. Because if, if if someone is disabled, then the parents are going to be under a lot of stress and pressure at home. And actually just being able to communicate on a regular basis will be really, really helpful. So I thought that's a great point. But just for me, I've learned... Not to do it once a term or once a year, to do it like almost monthly, and just check in how they're doing, how they're finding it, all those kind of things. So,
2: Okay, we've got about 10 questions now, but we're just going to, we'll do one more and then, uh, and then we'll respond um, to them to the rest throughout the day. So this one uh, I think comes through a few times. How do you get around safeguarding issues in this day and age of bringing one young person along to be involved in something like shopping? I think, I mean, I would do that regularly, just meet up one-to-one with young people. And I, I just re- always really clear that the parents know what what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And so if I'm meeting up with a young person, I say, like, um, I want to meet up with with Jack um, this week. I want to bring him shopping. Um, it's part of just getting to know him a bit, just helping him in, um, in his discipleship and his walk with Jesus. We're literally going to go shopping. We're going to go to Sainsbury's. We'll spend an hour and uh, and I'll drop him off again. I, I don't think I'm breaking any safeguarding things with that. Often I, I don't um, ever bring young people to my house unless uh, Nikki's there as well and parents know about it. It's my wife's there, so we will have young people over for dinner um, and uh, just all, just I think just good communication in those situations. So whenever I meet with young people, my leadership know about it. If I'm taking them off site um, and their parents know about it. And um, yeah, I, I would never want to put a young person in a vulnerable situation. So if they feel like this is a bit awkward and a bit weird, then actually I've 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 definitely got it wrong there. So so I think them being clear on why you're meeting with them, um, their parents being clear on it, and uh, um, and putting them in, in a place where it's either public or or yeah, people are, are aware of what's going on.
0: What and mean? the only thing I was going to add is obviously thinking about really carefully like who you're. Um, who you're obviously meeting up with. So for me to take one of the young guys in the youth work um, out shopping um, might give him completely different... Even Mm. if I say, we're going out for a discipling chat, that he might take that completely differently. So I think it's being really careful. I would only take young women out with me. um, And if I was wanting to disciple some of my young guys, I'd take one of my male youth leaders as well. So I think it's making sure that you look after your young men and your young women.
2: Yeah. I think in eighteen years of youth work I've never met up with a girl in a discipleship ca- capacity. Like and I do mentoring in school all the time and I, I don't meet up with girls one to one. So I know some youth leaders do. I think that's just a good so we do have to follow safeguarding, but I do I think it's got to be more than just meeting them on a youth night and, and stuff. So
0: Okay. Um guys, thank you so much for your time this morning. Can we just thank Nick again? I think he served us so well. <laughs> Can I also, um, encourage you guys that, um, I, like, God has spoken to me this morning through what Nick has said. And I guess if we want our young people to be those who hear the word of God and then let it transform them, then we need to be those who think, okay, so God has spoken to me about this. So go and find somebody who you trust, um, member of your youth team and say, this is what God really spoke to me about today and I want to do something about it. And let's be authentic and accountable and let's, um, let God transform us so that we can be a good example to our young people. Um, thank you, guys. Enjoy this afternoon, um, and we'll see you tomorrow for maybe Encounter. Encounter. See you tomorrow.